0: Good morning. Am I on? I'm good. My, my name is Adam. I'll give you my phone number right now. Never email me because I'll never read it. I have about 13,000 emails right now. When people actually want to contact me, they will text me, then they send me an email, and then I'll read the email. So if you want my number, I'll be happy to give it to you. If you email me, well, maybe next time I come, you can say, hey. Uh, the passage we we'll are looking at today is uh, Luke 12, 1 through 12. And we got, got a little bit switched, and when I got switched, I was pretty excited. I'm planning a church in Lincoln, and we have our first big meeting next Sunday. And so one of the things that was interesting is going around just talking to people about like what, what are they looking for, coming to church, not coming to church, all that kind of stuff. The thing that comes up all the time is the hypocrisy of the church. And so when Lask goes, hey, you're doing this one, I'm like, sweet, because this is what I'm dealing with right now. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Dear Lord, we thank you so much. To gather together this morning and worship you. We love the fact that you love us, and in spite of the cold, the winter, whatever, that we can come to a place that's warm because it's a place you're at, and we just thank you so much. I pray today as we talk that those of us in this room who are needing grace, you will give it, and those of us who maybe need to be confronted, you'll give that as well, Lord, in your name. Amen. So Luke 12, 1 through 12, I'll read it to you. In the meantime, when so many... Th- When so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. If that doesn't scare you, not much will. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and then after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before God, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And whoever who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and their authorities, do not be anxious about how much or how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So if you start with hypocrisy, what is actually hypocrisy? And and let's be honest, the church is full of hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites. And so even if we sit here today and think we're not, I mean, like we claim to do one thing and do another. And I'll give you a great story just to start off. This is absolutely true. Happened two weeks ago, which I'm actually going to go see this lady after I leave here. She's in Omaha. She's a Christian lady, but she's in like a, a care facility. She has a pretty wicked temper. She's a Christian, so she tries to tell people about Jesus. So on New Year's Eve, she was having a party with another lady in the place, and the lady and her sort of got into a squabble about some food. So this lady punched her, and so she punched this lady in the face, I don't know, a dozen times. Now, just to make things worse, the lady she beat up is in a wheelchair. Then she, I get to the call the next day and I go, uh, what is wrong with you? What happened? And, and long story short, I mean, basically they got into a fight about food and they both lost and they both started hitting each other. and, and Not something we experience every day. But after what I go, I go, do you see any problem with what happened? And she goes, no. And I go, "I go, do you understand what hypocrisy means? And she goes, no, what does that mean? I go, you ever heard the phrase, turn the other cheek? I go, Have you ever heard the phrase? Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever heard that? I mean, I go, your whole goal and your whole job is to represent Christ. Punching this woman in the face and then going to tell her to come to church, I go, you realize that they don't mash, right? And so it's an interesting thing, but like as Jesus is sitting down and he's talking to his disciples, and I mean, and then all these people are sort of like crowding in trying to hear what Jesus is saying to his disciples. So they're all pushing in. His first line to them is beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Now, why does he say that? Now, one is, the Pharisees are a great example of what hypocrisy actually means, right? They know the scriptures probably better than everybody else, but yet they're doing all sorts of things just to stay in power and do other things. And they're not using Scripture to glorify God. They're using Scripture, in a sense, to glorify themselves. right? They're, they live hypocrisy. But what happens is, the minute you start going, well, I'm better than they are, you've just become what they are, a hypocrite. And the reality is that he's talking to his disciples and he's saying that. He's reminding them they are, and like we are, we are the image of God. People see Christ first seeing you. And how we live, how we react, how we interact. Now, here's the deal. This is not you can pull it together because you can't. So when I'm planning a church, I said in our last meeting together, I go, here's the bottom line. We're going to offend each other. We're going to do things that are going to make you mad. I'm going to do things that are going to make you mad. You're going to offend me. And the responsibility as the gospel is forgiveness, right? Is to go ask for forgiveness, is to give forgiveness. And I'm like, if we can live in a world like that, they see Jesus much more clearer than a world where we think we can do it all right and we're acting, quote, unquote, perfect all the time, which we know is not true deep down. And that's what he's trying to warn his disciples about, right? You're never going to live it out perfectly. You're going to attempt to. You're going to try to. The goal is to do it. But when you fail, what's the response? Right? It's humbleness. It's forgiveness. It's being asked to be forgiven. Right. It's that acting out Christ. And it's, this is the part that freaks me out. And you think about, if you think you're a pretty good human being, which maybe you are. I have no idea. You're not. But maybe you think you are. You read two and three, literally it says nothing. I mean, can you imagine walking around with a bubble above your head? that every time you thought something, it came up on a screen? We would be friends for about four or five seconds. That would be it. It would be over. We're like, the things that go through our heads are, are terrible at times. But yet, Christ says nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Hidden that not, will not be known. The private conversation you had about so-and-so the other day will be revealed. Now, that doesn't freak you out. i be not thinking very well. But why does God, at this point, Jesus tell his disciples that? Because ultimately, when I get judged, it's not my life he's looking at. It's Jesus's life. Right? Ultimately, I am covered by Jesus's blood if I bowed my knee to Christ. And so we have the Adam Dell story playing on a video that we're all going to watch. You're going to see a picture of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Not what I've done. Not how well I've lived or not lived. Right? That's ultimately what's going to happen. Because Christ basically exchanged my unrighteousness and gave me his righteousness. My imperfection, I get his perfection. And so we can not live like hypocrites by literally living out for Christ in the good and bad by representing Christ and how we respond to the fact when we've sinned. not getting all bent out of shape because someone confronted us because we did something wrong, why not go, yeah, you're right. I wasn't being very nice to you. I wasn't responding very well to you. Matter of fact, I didn't really care about you at the moment. But then he goes in and tells his friends, and he reminds the disciples, what are you most afraid of? What are most of us afraid of in this room? You're afraid of what other people think about you. Far more I would guess than what you think about that God, you're worried about what God thinks about you. We're much more afraid, and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear the person who can kill the body. Fear the person who can kill the body and send you to hell. But yet most of us spend our lives worried about what our neighbor thinks. Worry about what each of us think in this room about us. That consumes us, drives us, makes us do things far more than oftentimes our fear of God. And God literally says, fear me. And if we can, de- we can decipher the word, we can put it up, but you know what it actually means? Fear him. He has the power that you don't have. But we don't really fear God. Why? Part of it is because our neighbors are right next to us. We can hear, we can see, we can read their, their body language, their faces, and, and we don't want to look bad. We don't want to feel bad. But Christ, in that, like, we're not, we should be fearful of Him, but He also reminds us, why shouldn't we be fearful of Him? Because the fact is, God loves us. And it's a fascinating transition from five to six when He goes, But I warn you, to whom you fear, fear Him who has, who has killed and has authority to cast you into hell. Did I tell you fear him? Absolutely, fear God. But then he goes, he switches transition. Like, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten by God? Or even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. It's a reminder of what God actually came on the earth to do for us, right? Die in our place, pay the price we could never pay. And He did that, and He's reminding us while we need to have an awe of Him, and we need to be in a sense, fearful of the fact that he is God. At the same time, he's paid the price. He's made it us right with him. And so he's also saying, remember, it's not running around fearing God's going to hammer you at any moment. But the reality is, God has come and paid the price. Right? We don't have to be fearful. We, we can actually be much more fearless before men because Christ has done the work. What makes it hard to be fearless? We're so worried about what someone thinks about us. We're so worried. If you're at a college campus, if you're at work, if you step up and say, I don't think that's what God thinks, we're so worried about the result of that reaction. Right? Not that you shouldn't be fearful, but the fear of man should be lesser than the fear of God. And it's a hard way to live. Because we don't see God all the time like in our faces, as we see our neighbors, as we see our friends, as we see our family. But God has called us disciples, you need to be fearless for the sake of the gospel. Even you guys, as as you're trying to figure out who your next head pastor is, you're trying to figure out what you do, are we fearful of what's happening? Are we fearful to go invite our neighbors? Are we fearful that The reaction they get when they come won't be what we want. That's all fear of man, not fear of God. So here's a great, I shouldn't say it's a great story. It's a story. (laughs) Great is not great because it's not great. Philip Reichen tells this story. And this lady's name is Elizabeth, young Christian girl. She was raised in a small village in Southeast Asia where her parents taught her to trust God for her daily needs and she dreamed of getting a good education. When she was 16, a relative offered to help her by getting her a high-paying job in another country. Have you ever heard these stories before? These are awful. Put her on a plane. They fly her to a small country, and they put her right into a brothel. So she spends the next nine months being abused, raped, all all those horrible things. And finally, seven months—i'm sorry, nine months—seven months later, she literally by the mercy of God, investigators from the International Justice Mission found Elizabeth and persuaded the local police to raid the brothel. And so she'd been there seven months, all these horrible things. But this is what they found on her wall in the room she lived in. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now think about that. I would just prefer to die, I think, at that point. But like, But you think about it, where does that kind of courage come from? I mean, she's in a place none of us want anybody to be in. At 16 years old, lied to, gets on a plane, flies somewhere, and you're like, live in horribleness, being abused every moment of the day. And yet in her heart, she's like, the Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? I mean, think about that for one moment. That is living fearlessly. That is understanding that God is the author of this life, that God has the ability to heal you, hold you, protect you. Even when things are awful, God is never not there. And it's fascinating because she comes back and then it talks about, then she goes around and now she's helping other people and doing all these things, which is fascinating, which is great. When you think about it, though, we have so much fear of even, like, I don't know, little things. We are very afraid of what our neighbor is going to say to us if we say, I think that's wrong. I don't think um, men should transition to women and women should transition to men. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's right that two men get married or two women get married. I don't think it's right that you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married. All those kind of things. Like you say it in this society, you will be made fun of. You will get some ridicule. You will get some luck. You will get that kind of stuff, right? And what are you afraid of? That someone's going to make fun of you? That someone's going to look at you sideways? That someone's going to... Because the reality is, what is the worst thing? Is you not speaking... And they get cast someplace they shouldn't want to go. And so then God goes on. Jesus goes on and says this the next thing he goes. We ultimately become God's mouthpiece. And I would I could almost argue that last little section, which I'll read here in a minute, is literally an implied question. There's an implied question in that thing. And the implied question is: what are you going to do with me? Jesus is literally going, what are you going to do with me? Because he goes like this. And he goes, I tell you, anyone who acknowledges before men, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now think about that for just a second. We did not, I, mean, I can honestly say, I deny God a lot. And there's times when I should speak and I don't. There's times I get into conversations and I should probably be a little more forthcoming and I'm not. Sometimes you're just downright scared. Sometimes you're just bored and you don't want to do it. So I don't want to have this conversation. And you just sort of move on. I'll tell you a very true story about my life. I don't think I've ever shared this with you before, but as a, as a high school student, I'm a Christian kid going to youth group. Everyone knew I was a Christian, had a good reputation. Kid in my class named Brian, Where uh, I think it was biology we had together, and we were 15, 16, uh, we weren't driving yet. He goes, hey, it was a Friday afternoon. He goes, hey, you, you tell me about God? Like, just tell me about this youth group thing, this Jesus thing. I go, I'm like, well, maybe I'll tell you Monday. Not like I didn't know the answers. I was going to go home and eat, play hockey with my brothers. I don't know. I mean, like, I had nothing else going on. I just wanted to go home. He died Saturday. Got hit by a drunk driver riding his bike. In his neighborhood, guy hit him, killed him. Now, literally, when you go backwards, why didn't I speak? Because I'm a hypocrite. I was fearful. I didn't trust that God would show up. Right? Okay? All those things are true at that moment. Absolutely, every one of them is true. I talk to people all the time about Jesus. Didn't do it then. I was afraid. I don't know of what He may say or might not say. I have no idea. I mean, like I, but it's not like I didn't have the answers. And then ultimately. I mean, I was a coward, ultimately. I mean, I didn't say I wanted to do it. Then he loses his life. Now, I'm not responsible for his life. I mean, just so we all know that. God is responsible for people's souls, not us. I mean, God asks us to do things, we should do it. But it's not like, Brian's soul's not on my hands in the sense of, like, God is the author of all that. But what's interesting, though, is what made me at that moment go, mm, I'll tell you later. Right? But we do it all the time. And God literally says, if you acknowledge me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge you before the angels. If you deny God before men, he will deny you before the angels. And he goes on to say this. But anyone who dies before men denies, oh sorry, and and everyone who speaks their word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. One of the hardest verses in the Bible people argue about all the time. What does that mean? Ultimately, you know nutshell, it literally means at the end of your life, if you've never bowed your knee to Christ, if you've never given your life to God, you have told the Holy Spirit, I want nothing to do with you, and and, and you're done. It's the one sin that cannot be forgiven. Every other sin can be forgiven. So if you're in this room right now and you've done horrible things, nothing is bad enough that God can't forgive, except ultimately denying Him as your Lord and Savior in the end. Right? What's fascinating when you think about that, and I put it in, in quotes, it's not in the Bible, but between 10 and 11, but I said, but remember, <laughs> it says, when they bring you before the, sy- the synagogue and rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour of what you ought to say. I think about that verse a lot with that story I told you. Like, God would have given me the rules. But I didn't trust God at that moment. Oftentimes, I think we, we, we have that problem. We don't trust God is going to show up in the moment. We're afraid of what might happen or what we may not be able to answer. I'm planting a church. It's nuts. I'm planting a church by myself. It's crazy. It's, it's, everyone, everyone. But yet every time God shows up with something new, all the time, like every time, it just makes me laugh all the time. The stories I could tell you right now in the last three months of all the stuff that's happened because I'm planting a church and I have nothing to do with The biggest problem of this new church will be me. 100%. Guaranteed. Will be me. And God's going to do great things. And God's going to do great things because God is at work. God has people he wants to see come to know Christ. He has people he wants to grow into his disciples. Right? He'll do it with or without us. I'd so like it to be with me. I'd like to, I'd like to be part of that. I'd like to see that happen. I'd be excited. it's another great story just about living it out living out the gospel doing a youth group this is way back in st louis i had a church where if you pulled in there was an upper part like you would like you could go into the sanctuary part and then below was where the youth stuff and the crazy kids were that you could enter from top or bottom like at this hill and so we had youth group like normal like great time and then after we usually went out the to, eat, got to eat, went out somewhere to eat or whatever afterward with whoever kids wanted to come and so one kid named named preston Mother had, like, a brain tumor, and so her, a lot of stress going on in their family, and their dad was coming to pick him up. Tim was coming to pick him up. And so Preston went up to the stairs to wait for his dad. Tim came, down, like, drove downstairs, like, drove down, got out, came in. He's like, hey. He was thinking maybe Preston went to dinner with everybody. And so he was not a happy camper. Let's be honest. He was not happy. So he's asking all these kids. He's getting really frustrated, asking all these kids, you've seen Preston, you've seen Preston. Like, oh, no, no, he, may, oh, he maybe went out the, No idea. Livid. Tim is livid. Finally, Preston comes downstairs. He's been sitting upstairs. And, and Tim just lights him up in front of all these kids. Just lights him up. Tears coming down Preston's face. Like they get in the car. It's so funny. Driving home, Tim's lighting up Preston. And Preston finally goes, I went upstairs where mom told me to wait for you because it would be less crowded and you could get in there quickly. And Preston right away knew, oh, my gosh, I just screwed up. big." So here's what this man did. He was a, he was a deacon at the time, deacon in that church. Literally called and asked for every number of every kid that we can remember was in the in the room, and he called every one of those kids and apologized. Every one of those kids. He calls and goes, hey, I just want to say Preston was right, I was wrong, I lost my cool, whatever, like every kid. So I saw one of those kids literally know, a month and a half ago, and it's, this is I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't even know how long ago it's been. Literally, brought up that story. That's how much oppression Tim, this older man, made on these kids. Because he's like, I was wrong. I was a hypocrite. I called you, I said. And, he, and these kids still remember that today. I, literally, it's got to be 20 years. I'm an old man, so it's got to be 20 years since it happened. I mean, hilarious. But think about the power of what you do if you follow God. Think about the power you have if you truly go out there and live out grace the way God gave it to us. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, you can easily be a hypocrite and you will be a hypocrite. Matter of fact, you'll do it. I mean, you'll deny God. Look at Peter in the Bible, right? What did Peter do? God says, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's like, there's no way, there's no way I'll never do it. (laughs) We all know three people later, the crow, you know, does this thing and, Now that rooster crows, and he recognizes right away, I'm a sinner. And what does he do? At that moment, what does Peter do? Repents. Unlike Judas, who also denied Jesus, and what did Judas go to do? Bought a field and ended his life. I would argue that one is redeemed and one is not. When you think about your life and what it means to be a hypocrite is, the reality is you have to come to grips with is you are a hypocrite like every one of us. We cannot possibly hold the law to which God has given it to us. But God reminds us what? That he has paid the price. He has paid in his own blood your salvation. And so all you really have to do in your life is get to the point where you actually are more in awe of God and his relationship with you than you are about your neighbor or your brother or your spouse or your kid or whoever right now is coming into your head. Because the reality is the world out there is a mess. There are people doing everything in their power to try to find him try to find peace, try anything that they can hold on to. And it's all fleeting. It never gets you there. There's only one answer to what we're all looking for. And it's Christ, right? It's that salvation. So I want to challenge you to think about three things. Start off by, can you get rid of your own mask? We all put up a mask. We all try to present how we are, what we look like, how we feel, whatever, all the time. See if you can't lower that a little bit. Next time you're afraid to answer a question or respond, take a minute and pray to God and go, what should I do right here? Am I quiet because I'm afraid of the response, or am I quiet because God wants me to so I'm telling you right now, don't respond to everything. God those three. The last piece is to recognize you are God's mouthpiece. I am gonna plant a church with like 30 other people. Like these people are all gonna come with. And I say over and over and over and over again till I can't say it anymore. What attracts people to Jesus? Christians. Because you're their first thing they see. And so if you take, and like, we've had many, many good Christian men who have literally blown up to ministries at the end of their lives. You take Robbie Zacharias. That's what I really liked. I liked him in his sermon. I mean, he was great. He's an idiot. I mean, what's he doing? I mean, like, yet, so his whole ministry is tainted now because of, what, because of what he was doing. Take Mark, Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill. You guys are a good preacher, doing a great job. What are you doing? Became egotistical, wanted to be in control, wouldn't listen to anybody else, became harsh, and it ruined his ministry. A friend of mine named Scott who who's a big, was a pastor in Nashville, just got just stepped on from his ministry because of abuse of power. Everybody in the world sees that stuff. They know Christians are no different than they are. And the reality is we're not. But what we should be is look and look more and more like Christ. And if we do, the world changes. So I'll I'll end with this story. You probably have never seen this movie, and I don't recommend you go see it because it's not great. But there's this great scene, it's called Eight Miles. It's with Eminem, who's this white rapper. No, I don't even like rap music, but... In this thing, the way this thing worked is the rap, they would rap battle each other is what it's called. And so then they just basically mock each other. And so like the winner then, you know, votes. And so they flip a coin and Eminem, who's this white rapper, is going to go against the best rapper in this, this area. And so he has to go first, which is usually a disadvantage. So literally Eminem goes through and tells this guy, while making fun of him, all the things that are bad about him. Like, lets it all out there. Like, we all know. Him. And then he just lists all this stuff. And what's hilarious is the rapper, when he's about to respond, it, it, which is based on a true story, literally couldn't say anything. He didn't know what to say because Eminem had already exposed himself so much that he didn't know what else, I mean, he could go after and make fun of. So often in the Christian life, we're so badly trying to hide our sins, hide our wrongs, hide our difficulties that we don't get people a chance to see what Christ can do in those things. Christ isn't here because we're perfect. Christ is here because literally, I don't know if this is a bad word in church, we stink. We're bad people. Yet that's the stuff we keep hiding from everybody. When the reality is that's the stuff we should be showing people so we can say, God, fix that God has made an angry man not so angry God has made a scornful woman not so much anymore I've had a major abuse in my life yet God can heal it. right I mean those kind of things are the things that people go ah God's real let's pray just thank you so much for getting us together so much that it's soon going to turn warm and it's soon going to be sunny, Lord. And I thank you so much for the fact that you died on a cross to save us from our sins, and we stand here. Where I mean, we should be in awe, and I think oftentimes we're not. And I pray that you will change that in our hearts, change that in our lives, that we really will live a life that is so grateful for all that you've done in our lives, Lord. So, you name, know, Amen. All right, now I messed this up last time. We do, are We Apostles Creed first.